An attempt to assassinate Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan during a rally throws Pakistan into further turmoil as his supporters blame the military, the government and demand fresh elections. Which way will India's neighbour turn now? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 86 and we're going to bring you up to speed really on what is happening in Pakistan right now. Now remember on November 3rd, which was a Thursday, opposition leader and former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who had just launched in the last few weeks what he called a Hakiki Azadi or Real Freedom Movement, calling for immediate elections, he was shot at in his leg, that's where he got hurt during a rally in a place called Wazirabad, about 100 kilometers from Lahore. He is now stable in a hospital, recovering from his injuries. At least one person was killed in that attack. Several others, including Khan's close aides, were injured. now, of course, Imran Khan is not just former cricket captain and former prime minister. He is an international personality, well-known worldwide. And statements have already come in from the US, from Canada, from the UK, Germany, Saudi Arabia, the Organization of Islamic Countries, Cooper for Cooperation, all of them condemning the attack. This is clearly an event that the world is watching closely, as, in, as is India. Listen in to what the Ministry of External Affairs spokesperson said. This is something that we are uh, closely keeping an eye on and we'll continue to monitor the ongoing developments. So let's just take a step back from this particular attack and look at the entire year. And remember, 2022 has been a year of dramatic developments in Pakistan uh, for Imran Khan and for the Pakistani military's credibility in particular. Remember in April this year, and we had a worldview looking at that political uh, transition, Prime Minister Khan stepped down after losing a confidence vote, uh, but not before enacting an entire political drama that lasted nearly a month. Many thought he would never actually leave the post at that time. Since then, Imran Khan, unlike others, he did not leave the country. He's in fact held a number of public rallies, bringing in massive crowds across the country, attracting international attention really to those big crowds. And at, at those rallies, here's another dramatic development really, because Khan, unlike the political establishment in Pakistan in the past that has steered clear of speaking about the military establishment, instead Khan seemed to be taking aims. He called them at one point 
the neutrals, a kind of mocking of what the Pakistani military had said it was when it came to politics. He's criticized his political rivals also, the government of Prime Minister Shahbaz Sharif, but very specifically targeting the Pakistani military and the intelligence services, the ISI. This is the first. In May, Imran Khan even said he had received information of a planned attempt on his life. He said he had already recorded a video uh, naming his would-be assassins if that were to happen, and those included Prime Minister Sharif, Interior Minister Rana Sanaullah, as well as an army general, Faisal Nasir. Some believe he is the man that Imran Khan refers to as Dirty Harry in his speeches. In particular, he made the references repeatedly to a cipher, a diplomatic telegram that he claimed showed that it was the United States that had ordered his ouster as prime minister. He blamed the military for helping carry out that ouster, but there's no question that he was taking aim at the United States as well. He said this on camera. In August then, the government banned television news channel ARY. It was seen as pro-Khan. It was showing his rallies live and arrested its executive, filed cases against its journalists. So a real crackdown on ARY and, in fact, other news outlets as well. In October, Imran Khan, who had already faced other kinds of terror charges that dropped, he was disqualified from public office by the Election Commission. This was on a case involving state gifts. The possibility now that he may not be allowed to contest elections that are due in 2023 if that disqualification remains. Two days after that order came in, a former Pakistani journalist with ARY, who was known to be close to Imran Khan, was then shot dead in Kenya. This is Arshad Sharif. We heard media reports that began to point fingers even at military intelligence there. Next, what nobody has ever seen before happened. For the first time ever, Pakistan's ISI chief, General Nadeem Anjub, actually held a press conference refuting all the charges and all the insinuations that had been made against the ISI and in particular against him. And then as the assassination attempt happened, reports suggested that the man who shot Khan and he was caught and he spoke on camera about his desire to stop Khan from what he called spreading disinformation, he was arrested but perhaps was not the only shooter at the rally, said people on the ground. Some suggested automatic weapons fire was heard as well, and that now there was a cover-up to say that there was only one attacker. Clearly, many questions swirling around in Pakistan. The big question that will haunt the country is who is behind the attack. Now, there's no question that Khan has made powerful enemies in many quarters. Previous assassinations, deaths of leaders in Pakistan have happened as well without any conclusive investigation, remember, including Prime Minister Liaquat Ali Khan in 1951. There was the plane crash that killed military ruler, ruler General Ziaul Haq in 1988. And then there was the assassination of former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto uh, just after a rally in 2007 as well. No conclusive investigations on who was behind those. Of course, threats against other leaders in the past uh, have led to many of them in power, out of power, leaving politics, leaving the country, and staying safe outside. So there are all these questions going around. Another question is, really, what does this mean for the government of Pakistan at present? Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif has come back from visits to Saudi Arabia and to China. Uh, one would have thought these would have strengthened his arm, but he really faces so many different challenges. The first is the challenge of political instability. 
as calls for the government to resign and for it to accede to uh, Imran Khan's demand that there must be general elections held. Uh, these are growing. And we've seen protests, particularly in Peshawar, where the PTI is in power. The second is the military instability he faces. Uh, Army Chief General Bajwa, I remember, is set to step down on November the 29th. His successor not yet announced, but clearly uh, Mr. Bajwa has said that he is leaving amidst reports, in fact, that there are divisions within the army, that there are even several Khan sympathizers in the army. Major protests against the army itself on the streets. Uh, clearly, the institution is facing unprecedented challenges, making it more difficult for the government of the day in this case. Then there's security instability with the situation in Afghanistan already threatening to spill over, the emboldening of terror groups given safe havens on both sides of the Afpak border could lead to more terror attacks inside Pakistan. This is another big worry of the security situation getting out of control. Next, there is economic instability. Pakistan is still grappling with the worst flood in decades this year. They've slashed their growth figures to 2% for this year. Foreign exchange reserves have emptied out. Meanwhile, we have seen losses from COVID, food and energy shortages after the Ukraine war. These are affecting everyone. And debt repayments, particularly to China. All of this is going to make Pakistan economically unstable for the foreseeable future. And fifth, there is regional and international instability arising from the situation in Pakistan. And here is why most other countries, including India, particularly India, must pay attention. The first part is that in times of economic strife, we've seen Pakistan's radical Islamist groups have grown more powerful, leading to more terrorist groups and recruits spreading across the region. And particularly for us in India, the cross-border spillover to India is always a concern. Pakistani groups and terrorists, remember, have been implicated in attacks not just inside Pakistan, uh, but of course in India, also in the US, UK, France, and many parts of Asia. We've also seen Pakistan just recently being taken off the gray list of the Financial Action Task Force. Will that embolden not just terrorists and terrorist groups, but also those who provide them safe haven? Remember, Pakistan is also the linchpin for China's Belt and Road initiatives, particularly for the Central Asian countries, which need connectivity through the sea, through the CPEC that goes to Gwadar port. Now, this factor might actually help India, which is promoting the alternative routes through Iran, through the Chabahar port, as well as the INSTC. We've spoken about that at other worldviews. They come with their own problems. But clearly, this is something worth watching. Pakistan's total external debt is now 37% of its GDP at present. A default would cause instability within the international credit market. Uh, so that's something uh, that has to be watched closely. The region, remember, already faces instability in Afghanistan under the Taliban now, Iran with the protests against the regime over the compulsory hijab, growing every day, economic turmoil in Sri Lanka, and the fact that India and Pakistan have made little movement on talks. They remain with great tensions against each other, both of them nuclear powers, for the last uh, six to seven years at least. So the attack on Imran Khan that has been claimed by a lone wolf uh, is, is actually going to have larger repercussions. And even as the conspiracy behind the shooting is investigated, if it is in Pakistan, it is very necessary for India and the international community to keep an eye all the extended repercussions of instability and of violence inside Pakistan spreading across its borders and beyond. 
as well. So clearly, this is a space worth watching and we'll continue to watch it for you here on Worldview. Let me get you some reading recommendations and I've given you so many books on Pakistan in the past, but I'm going to look at some more recent books, uh, including, I'll start, of course, with a book about Imran Khan, which I think you must read to understand the man. It's a 2012 book. He had written earlier memoir-type books in the past, but this one is called Pakistan, A Personal History by Imran Khan, and it's the best written of all the books that he has put out so far. Uh, then there is Hussein Haqqani. I recommend him often, but this book in particular, in fact, it was launched in India some years ago, called Reimagining Pakistan, Transforming a Dysfunctional Nuclear State uh, by Hussein Haqqani, who has obviously written so many other books we've spoken about in the past, is really worth uh, reading. If you haven't already read his earlier book, Pakistan Between the Mosque and the Military, that's, that's, that's another book that should be on your shelf. Uh, then there is a more recent book called Making Sense of Pakistan by Farzana Sheikh. Really, really brilliant writer who brings together all the political complexities of uh, running Pakistan today. Then there is Christoph Jafralo's The Pakistan Paradox, Instability and Resilience. The idea that Pakistan lurches from one crisis to another but still seems to carry on. It's an interesting uh, take on Pakistan. Then an edited work called Pakistan's Political Parties Surviving Between Dictatorship and Democracy. Uh, this is part of South Asia and the World Affairs uh, series. And it's uh, edited and written for uh, by Maria Mufti as well as Seher Shafkar. Then we have a book by Declan Walsh. She's an international journalist, covered Pakistan quite a lot, called The Nine Lives of Pakistan, Dispatches from a Precarious State. It's a, bit of, it's a bit disjointed in the way the chapters are put out, but it gives you a good view of what covering Pakistan and its leadership uh, really involves. Uh, there's a book I'm really looking forward to uh, coming up. It's only due out, I think, in March of next year, in 2023, but by Pervez Hoodboy. You may have read his columns from Pakistan. It's called Pakistan Origins, Identity and Future. So look out for this one. And two recent books by Indian authors. They don't necessarily pertain to the current crisis, uh, but are worth reading. And they're both Indian authors who have been diplomats posted in Pakistan. One is called India's Pakistan Conundrum, Managing a Complex Relationship by Sharad Sabarwal, an important book by former High Commissioner to Pakistan, who's really spent some time uh, working on what could work in the India-Pakistan relationship. And another book, it's slightly more about Afghanistan, of course, but Pakistan as well, called Pashtuns, A Contested History by Tilak Devashar. I certainly hope you enjoy reading all our recommendations and do join us again here on Worldview. From the team, thanks for watching.